Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for the latest edition of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Week one in the Sun Belt arrived with a bang. The league scored their fifth Power 5 win in the last two seasons. Plus, they extended the group of five best FCS winning streak to 24 games. Texas State came there officially in their G.J. Kinney era after upsetting the Baylor Bears in Waco. App State and James Madison both turned to their backup quarterbacks in wins. Marshall avoided disaster with a narrow defeat of the University of Albany. South Alabama's offense fell flat in New Orleans once again. And UCLA got past an upset-minded Coastal Carolina squad out on the West Coast. Today on episode 111 of the show, we are excited to bring you our first weekend recap of the season. We'll break down the biggest moments from the weekend and provide a look at some of the early season storylines from around the league. Caden, as we've come to expect, the Sun Belt provided plenty of excitement in week one. Texas State pulled off that huge upset in Waco. Who was your biggest surprise this week and who is maybe a team that disappointed you a little bit this weekend? Hard not to pick and start with Texas State. I mean, looking at the impressive performance they put on against Baylor, I think a good mark of if a team impresses you in week one or not is if you're watching a game way more than you expected. I try to get eyes on this one early just because we didn't know the outcome. We thought it might be a Baylor blowout as, as Vegas thought so, but had to keep that game dialed, had to keep it on ESPN plus the entire day just because of the impressive performance they put on. And I think on the flip side, obviously, South Alabama had a disappointing ex- experience this weekend, especially given how much stock we bought into that team. And I think some just individual units, you think about the App State defense, maybe some the Coastal Carolina offense at times, the Coastal Carolina defense. I think certain units maybe showed some problems, but I think as a whole, we're going disappointment. I think that South Alabama team versus a great two-lane team, which we'll talk about later, kind of just fell a little bit flat, like you mentioned before. I got to admit, Caden, to your point, as soon as I got home, I was at the lake all day yesterday, maybe poor planning on the first weekend of college football, but uh, turned on that Texas State game and found myself glued to my television, uh, watching them pull off you know, what some have called probably the biggest victory in, in Texas State history. Well, as we do every Monday, we're going to start this episode with the Sunbelt scoreboard. This is a time where we will review all of the results from around the conference in week one. Then Caden and I will take an in-depth look at each of the Sun Belt's top games. So Caden, sit back and, and let me run down through 14 games real quick, and we'll come back and uh, dig into some of these in a moment. But the Sun Belt year started on Thursday night when Georgia State took on Rhode Island. This was a game played in Atlanta, uh, an FCS matchup for Georgia State, and they struggled a little bit. They would then go they would go on to win 42 to 35, but Rhode Island certainly made things more challenging. Darren Granger put up nearly 250 yards of total offense. Marcus Carroll, Caden, you called your shot in the offseason. He had a huge game, 184 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. Next up, the first game on Saturday, Caden. I don't even think it's worth talking about this one. Arkansas State played Oklahoma. Uh, They were a 36-point underdog. They lost 73-0 in this game. Uh, There wasn't much good going on for the Red Wolves in Norman, Oklahoma. Next game up was the game between App State and Gardner-Webb. Caden, I know this was a game that you had your eyes on. App State goes on to win 45-24, to but certainly Gardner-Webb made things a little bit more challenging than they thought. Ryan Berger goes down early in the game with a finger injury. Have yet to kind of hear updates on that. Some have said it's a broken finger. Joey Aguilar comes in and has a huge performance in a victory. He will probably be the starter heading into that Week 2 matchup against Drake May. Georgia Southern, big performance from Davis Brin. They win 34-0. They pick up the shutout. Not a great team to be playing in the Citadel, Caden, but at the end of the day, uh, they came through with a big result. James Madison took on Bucknell in Harrisonburg. They would go on to win that game 38-3. Caden, we're going to talk about this one a little bit more uh, later on in this episode, but quarterback controversy is the name of the game in Harrisonburg heading into Week 2. McLeod, Griffiths, and Barnett all played. Kalon Black had a big performance, 125 yards on the ground. Kane, perhaps one of the more disappointing games of the weekend for me, it was Marshall versus Albany in Huntington, West Virginia. Marshall would go on to win just 21-17 to in this game. Rasheen Ali had a huge performance. I thought Cam Fancher looked really good. That defense and the running game certainly looking like they will be keys in how Marshall's going to try to win football games this year. Another big game here. ULM played Army in Monroe. They came in as the underdog to Army. They'd been blown out the last two seasons. They came from behind in the fourth quarter to win that 17-13. Hunter Smith 
one of seven Sunbelt running backs to run for over 100, and, and 100 yards in that game. And Caden, that catch by Tyrone Howell was absolutely beautiful, well worth watching on Twitter. Quarterback controversy here as well. Hunter Herring replaces Jaya Wright in that game, so certainly something to keep an eye on as we head into week two. Next up, Caden, we already touched on this. Texas State Baylor in Waco. Baylor came in 26.5-point favorite, a near-capacity crowd there in Waco, and Texas State officially took back Texas. Big performance from TJ Finley, that wide receiver core that G.J. Kinney told us in the offseason people were sleeping on, certainly showed up huge in that game. Next up on the schedule, Southern Miss versus Alcorn State. This game was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It was the debut of QB1 Billy Wiles. He lived up to the hype, and Southern Miss went on to win that game 40-14. to We'll touch on that game a little bit more in a moment. Kane, this was a big performance as well. Troy, Stephen F. Austin, 48-30, to and the big storyline coming out of this game, Kamani Vidal rushing for a program record 248 yards in this game. Gunnar Watson also had a huge performance at quarterback, living up to some of the hype that we heard about him all offseason long. South Alabama, Tulane. Kane, we build this one as a game of the year candidate, and it was a dud from the Sun Belt's perspective. South Alabama flopping in New Orleans for the second consecutive game after losing in that bowl game to Western Kentucky last year. They fall 37-17. to Old Dominion versus Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. Virginia Tech comes in as a 16-point favorite. This game was a six-point game at the half, but Virginia Tech pulled away. Was impressed, though. Old Dominion ran for 200 yards, although the quarterback was the leading rusher with 81 yards in this game. Two more games on the schedule. Louisiana versus Northwestern State. Louisiana wins 38-13. to Draylon Washington and Ben Wooldridge uh, combining for five touchdowns in that game. Uh, great crowd in Lafayette, Louisiana. Haven't seen many of those lately. Last game, Coastal Carolina, UCLA. This game ended at close to 2 a.m. on the East Coast. Caden, you and I stayed up for the entirety of this contest. Coastal Carolina made things interesting. Illinois State transfer Clayton Isbell had three huge picks in his Coastal Carolina debut, but Coastal Falls 27-13. to couple quick superlatives from the weekend. The Sun Belt extended their group of five best win streak over FCS opponents to 24. They went 8-0 on the weekend, although they did have a couple of games that they were in trouble. Texas State recorded their first Power 5 win of the season. Uh, the Sun Belt finished with four of those last year over Nebraska, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, and Virginia Tech. And Caden, last up, I thought this was interesting. Scott Watkins, who's a friend of the pod, posted on Twitter that the Sun Belt is now 6-6 six and six versus the Big 12 since 2019. They had lost 21 straight games prior to 2019. So the Sun Belt performing well against Big 12 teams. Great weekend in the Sun Belt, Caden. Anything that just stood out to you right off the bat? We'll get into it with Texas State immediately, but I think just all of those running back performances, we've talked all offseason about how that was one of the deepest positions in the conference, and we're seeing guys who weren't even in our top 10 list making their noise and making their statement in the first week of college football. So definitely excited to watch that going forward. Just the run game that we've seen, a lot of the great running back performance we saw this weekend. Well, Caden, we have got eight matchups that we are going to recap in this episode, and we had to start with Texas State. They would go on to beat Baylor 42-31, to and Caden, I have this note here that this was probably the biggest bright spot of the weekend for me. This was the first win over Baylor in program history. It was also the first win over a Power 5 opponent. I was texting with Kef uh, Chardello of the Win Now or Get Bent podcast this morning. He called this the biggest win in Texas State history. He compared it to that 2012 win over Houston when they were a 34-point underdog. But this is a team that broke a nine-game losing streak. They were 0-9 in the previous nine matchups against Baylor. Kane, the G.J. Kinney era has arrived. He's the first Texas State head coach since 2016 to win his debut. This team puts up 441 yards of total offense, eight plays of 20 or more yards. They scored touchdowns on all three red zone trips. That's that red zone percentage that we've heard coaches talk about. And I got to admit, Caden, I am all here for the excitement in San Marcos. Oh, we're all here for it. I think we were drinking the Kool-Aid in the offseason. We were hearing great things about this offense and the capability of this team, but it was just hard to buy that heading into this week one matchup, especially given just the point spread and just the odds being against this team. I picked them to cover. I thought they'd be able to keep it close, but I don't think anyone could have expected what we saw out of G.J. Kitty and his Bobcats season opener, debut, whatever you want to call it. Very comparable to what Colorado did being a 20 plus point 
underdog heading into week one with a new head coach who brought in a ton of transfer portal additions. I feel like a lot of those betting lines might change going forward. I think there was a lot of question marks in this new era of college football as far as can you translate a bunch of transfer portal talent into the right scheme in just one offseason and see production. We clearly saw that happen. Very excited now. I think we were talking about this schedule heading into the season. We were like, oh, a bowl game would be good for this team. But now just given what we saw against this Baylor team, I have you have to think the expectations are going to be higher in San Marcos. So very exciting performance, very excited debut. And I think that's just only added excitement to this season now as it heads on. Hey, suddenly, Kane, maybe people are talking about Texas State starting the season 4-0. Who knows? They're playing UTSA next weekend, a team that lost uh, in their first game of the year. Caden, for me, the biggest storyline in this game was the play of TJ Finley, the Auburn transfer. The question comes to mind, has he finally figured it out after a couple of previous SEC stops? He throws for 298 yards in this game, three touchdowns, also runs for another. Caden, he looked like he had a ton of swagger. He battled Malik Hornsby after arriving late in the offseason, won that job. And Caden, after that performance, it seems like it's his for the foreseeable future. It has to be. TJ Finley is the man for as much as we were talking about the athleticism that Malik Hornsman brought to the table this offseason. That was really exciting to us. We didn't see him in this game. We might see some packages later on, but you could say the same thing about TJ Finley for his size. I mean, this guy is every bit of six foot seven. He throws the ball and can make any throw as a result of that size. And he was highly efficient outside of one bad turnover. He's very mobile. He had that one rushing touchdown, like you mentioned. Saw some great things from him. He was extremely poised within this offensive scheme and very confident in this run game. And I think the biggest thing I saw was just the connection with the wide receivers. Joey Hobart showed out as a transfer from Utah Tech. Cole Wilson, who we knew was going to know this offense well as a wide receiver coming from Incarnate Word. He got some touches as well. Ashton Hawkins made some big plays, but almost made some incredible ones because of TJ Finley's deep passes, just not quite getting there. But I think when you look at the pass game of this team, the short, the immediate, the intermediate game and the vertical passing game was all there for TJ Finley. It was all there with the receivers. It looked like a well-oiled machine. And they were also able to run the ball while well, you got to have shout out that offensive line, protecting TJ very well, only allowing one sack and clearing the way for a very solid run game. We saw the 65-yard run by Isbo Mati. So I think when you just look at TJ Finley and this offense and what they were able to do against Big 12 competition, you can't help but be optimistic as they head towards the rest of the season. Yeah, Caden, G.J. Kinney, when he got the job, he promised to light up the scoreboard. He does that in his first game, 42 points uh, for Texas State in the opener against Baylor. Caden, on the other side of the ball, I think for me, the biggest storyline here was the fact that the defense played hard. We heard, you know, the broadcast team talking about all the cramping that we were seeing from Texas State. It was certainly hot there in Waco. That defense was flying all over the field. They looked extremely hungry. Caden, the numbers weren't pretty. They gave up 524 yards of total offense, 416 through the air, but they did force two turnovers. They had three sacks. And Caden, for me as a coach in this first game, you wanted to see effort. You got that. And this is certainly a a team that is, is going to have a pretty good defense the rest of the year, I think. Yeah, I think compared to the offensive personnel and some of the hype we heard around the offense last se- this offseason, I think that the defense is really what surprised me and impressed me in this game, maybe more than the offense. Coach Kenny was right about that scheme. They shined up front. They caused constant pressure. No matter who was playing quarterback up there, they never made whatever quarterback was in the pocket feel comfortable, and they stopped the run very well. The secondary made some plays on the back, and they tackled very well. And I think the biggest thing, like you mentioned, was this defense was playing absolutely with their hair on fire the entire time. My biggest takeaway was just, the high effort within this scheme and just their bend don't breakness. Those two field goals instead of touchdowns to start off the game were huge. They did a great job of keeping that team off of the scoreboard in the first half. Baylor did have some success in the second half. You mentioned some of those numbers. They were more of a desperate, hungry, playing from behind kind of team. So they were willing to be a little bit more aggressive. But the fact that this defense was playing just as desperate is what helped them in this game. It led to turnovers. They wreaked some havoc. They did all the little things right you want to see a defense do in their debut, and they were really able to reap the benefits because their offense had their back. Just as a team, played very confident football. The offense looked like a fearless, well-oiled machine. The defense tackles well. They played well on third down. They did all the things you want to see, and it's going to be very scary as this entire kind of complete team, I think, heads into San Antonio next week and tries to beat an 0-1 UTSA team when this Texas State team is now 1-0 and rolling. Yeah, certainly a lot of teams probably in that Sunbelt West took notice of what Texas State did. I think that they will be a force to be reckoned with uh, throughout the year if things continue to look as good. Kane, you mentioned they travel to San Antonio where they'll face an 0-1 UTSA team this coming weekend. They lost to Houston in their opening game of the year. 
Well, so much excitement there. Let's move on, though, to Caden, a game that I'm dubbing the biggest disappointment of the weekend, and that was South Alabama at number 24, Tulane. We called this their game of the week. There was a lot of people who were saying that this could be the group of five game of the year, and maybe from Tulane's uh, you know, perspective it was, but certainly not South Alabama. Uh, this was the second straight disappointing result in New Orleans for this Jags team. You think back to that big loss to Western Kentucky in the bowl game a season ago. Kane Walmack uh, said he was really disappointed uh, in his team's execution in this game. And Kane, you know as well as I do, if you want to play winning football, you cannot give up the football. They had five turnovers in this game, three forced fumbles, two interceptions against this Tulane defense. And when you look at this offense, Cato, they they failed to record 100 yards rushing. And I thought this was interesting, Caden. The last three games that this South Alabama team has had less than 100 yards rushing, I'm going to give you a chance. Can you name what those three games were? Western Kentucky, Troy, and I can't got, I can't give you the third one. Well, Tulane was in that. So, you know, but what oh, do okay, all okay, those games all. have? All those games have in common. They are all losses for South Alabama. This offensive line, you know, play really hurt them. Carter Bradley didn't have much time. He was sacked five times. It's hard to put all the struggles on him. He throws for 190 yards in, in a touchdown, 23 of 30. Kane, in your mind, what went wrong for this South Alabama offense? On the offensive side of the ball was the protection of Carter Bradley and just the offensive play of the offensive line. I think that's the unit who's probably going to watch the film and kind of hurt the hardest. That's how I kind of feel like that's how I kind of take away as a former player, which part of the offense is probably the biggest problem. It's going to be who's watching the film is going to be the most disappointed. And I think it just has to be the offensive line. Carter Bradley started this game off very efficient. He was completing all of his passes. He was absolutely dish and the commentators were giving him a lot of love and talking about how he was standing toe to toe with Michael Pratt, like seemingly every, but every third down, it seemed like he was getting pressured. He was getting sacked. He was sacked five times on the night. I was impressed with what I saw from wide receiver Jamal Pritchett. Javon Ivory not in the offensive roster and depth chart to go into this game, so that was interesting. But the protection of Carter Bradley was one thing, I think, because he was under that pressure because this team was down. That's why he forced some of those interceptions and turnovers. But then Tulane created some of their own. You saw the strip on LaDamian Webb very early in this game, and then we saw a lot less touches from him. He kind of turned into kind of the third running back, the second running back on this team. We saw a ton of action from Kentrell Bullock in this game. He kind of turned into the go-to guy. So I don't know if that was an injury thing. I know there were some injury questions heading into this game, but this offensive line just struggled to create push and create lanes for these dynamic group of running backs that you see at South Alabama. So I think the offensive line play is definitely where the offensive struggles start. They were just overwhelmed when it came to a pass rush standpoint. They were overwhelmed and couldn't run the ball very well. And like you mentioned in this well-documented history of this offense, they don't do well when they can't do those things. So they looked very handcuffed because of their offensive line. We saw flashes of good things from their receivers. We saw flashes from Bradley McReynolds and Carter Bradley, but it's not going to all be able to come together if you're not going to be able to protect up front. Ken, we spent the whole offseason talking about this South Alabama defense, the secondary in particular, and, and they, quite frankly, laid an egg in this game. The defense overall gives up 12 big plays. That's seven passing plays of 15 or more yards, five more rushing plays of 10 or more yards. It's safe to say that Michael Pratt diced up this defense 14 of 50, or 14 of 15, rather, 294 yards and four touchdowns. Yam Banks is injured. Haven't heard further word on that. Uh, and Coach Womack talked about this secondary, Caden, having their eyes in the wrong places all game. What did you see from them, Caden? I saw that too. Listen, we talked about before heading into the preview of this that Michael Pratt was going to have to put on a big Superman cape and really put on for his team. But his cape was a lot smaller than Carter Bradley's just given the help he was getting. He had time in the pocket. He had time to operate. And as a result, he went 14 for 15 for 294 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, he absolutely picked this defense apart. And he was able to do what he was able to do in the deep passing game was just absurd on a down to down basis. His defense didn't play bad, but that secondary on those big plays and those big moments very reminiscent to what you saw in the Western Kentucky game. They lost some eye discipline. They got beat on a one-on-one -on -one matchup, and you saw bombs over Baghdad and touchdowns for this offense. So I think that's going to be something, despite how explosive and talented this defensive backfield is, no defensive backfield that has their eyes in the wrong place is going to be able to be efficient. And it looks like that's going to be this team's kryptonite. You kind of have to circle the Texas State game. You kind of have to circle a matchup like Georgia Southern in the future. Like Those are the teams that have given this offense problems, that kind of style. And on top of that, you have an injury to Yam Banks to end the game, your best defensive player in the backfield, maybe in general for this team. So I think when you look at this defense, 
they're obviously have all the talent in the world. I like how they played at times. They showed flashes of being able to create turnovers and create havoc in the backfield. But this offense was just able to have their way too much, especially on the early downs. They didn't even have to attempt a third down until the third quarter. So I think you just have to make it harder for good quarterbacks, especially in those aerial attacks if you're looking at South Alabama moving forward. Yeah, Austin Reed, Michael Pratt dicing up the Jags. But Caden, certainly uh, for them, they have to be thankful. They're welcoming Southeastern Louisiana, a team that lost to Mississippi State 48-7 to uh, to Mobile this coming week. So a chance for them perhaps to regroup before they head out to play Oklahoma State. Third matchup, Caden, we're going to talk about uh, this one will excite you. App State wins over Gardner-Webb, 45-24. to They do it in front of a crowd of 36,000-plus in this game. I thought teams that missed bowl games the year before were not supposed to draw that well. Certainly different up on the mountain. The Mountaineers, though, Caden, they did trail early in this third quarter. They then would go on to score 24 unanswered points down the stretch. This offense puts up nearly 400 yards, 150 yards on the ground. But, Kane, the big storyline coming out of this game was Ryan Berger in getting injured in this contest. He got the start after winning the job, but exits early with a finger injury. Haven't seen a conclusive update on his status for week two. Joey Aguilar, though, who, Kane, you were high on in the offseason. You ranked him as high as number eight in our quarterback rankings. Uh, he comes in, throws a touchdown on his first career play. He went on to become the first App State Mountaineer to throw four touchdowns in his debut. Finished the game 11 for 13, 174 yards and four touchdowns. Kane, in your mind, what's the state of this quarterback room now as App State gets prepared to play arguably one of the best quarterbacks in college football in Drake May this coming week? Well, I definitely think it's not arguable after watching that North Carolina game last night. He lit it up, and that's definitely going to give the App State defense some problems when we talk about that part of this game. But I do have some of the inside scoops, some of the sources I talked to at App State. Ryan Berger actually hurt his finger in the first drive of the game. So he kind of at moments in the beginning, he was very efficient, don't get me wrong, but just the offense lacked some explosion in the beginning of the game. He kind of had a fumble and mismanaged the ball on one play and had to jump on it. And I think a lot of that had to do with him injuring his finger in the first game. It looks like that's going to hold him out for a little bit. So Joey is going to be the guy, I think, moving forward, especially with that injury, but just also what we saw from him. I'm going to not give a huge knock on Berger for some of the things we saw, but the offense in the beginning of the game, the run game, didn't have explosive plays. They were getting four and five chunk yard plays, but with Berger at the helm in the run game, wasn't very explosive. But then as soon as Jogi Aguilar came in, throws a 30-yard touchdown pass to Caden Robinson, and the rest was history. He looked extremely comfortable in this offense. He looked like a veteran. He looked like he was kind of chomping at the bit to get this moment, and he got it, and he definitely took advantage of it. I think the run game naturally got more explosive with him at the helm. You saw him getting all the wide receivers involved, like we mentioned before. We were kind of curious who the targets were going to be. Well, if there's not one go-to guy, that's definitely better for an offense as a defense tries to scheme for you and can't focus on one guy. He showed it to Deshaun Davis. He gave it to Caden Robinson. You saw Dalton Strom in the big red zone target get involved. And of course, Christian Horn, who's going to be their wide receiver number one. So love what I saw out of Joey Aguilar. He has that kind of NFL body and talent. And I think when it comes to having to potentially get in a shootout in Chapel Hill, he might be more built for it than we saw from Ryan Berger. But also what we saw from Ryan Berger was an injured Ryan Berger. So obviously hoping for good healing for him, but definitely excited about Joey Aguilar at the helm of this offense moving forward. It's nice to have a backup quarterback like Joey Aguilar. Certainly made Sean Clark's life a little bit easier yesterday. Kane, you weren't overly high on this defensive performance yesterday for App State. They gave up 360 total yards of offense, 231 through the air, 129 on the ground. They did force three turnovers in the second half that allowed for some separation. Kane, you've got about a minute and a half here. Give me your assessment on this App State defense. Yeah, this is where I'm the harshest grader of any team and probably any side of the ball. So you can all take that with a grain of salt when you hear this, but I saw some issues that were reminiscent of this week one matchup against North Carolina last year. Obviously, it wasn't as egregious. It wasn't some big shootout game, but this defense had some of the same issues we saw last year as far as taking correct angles, tackling. It just didn't look great all the time. Not as many communication problems as we saw in the past, but definitely some. And I think schematically, this defense got work. You have to shout out head coach Trey Lamb at Gardner-Webb, who calls that offense brother of Taylor Lamb, who's obviously an App State legend. But he really gave this defense some problems with his scheme. He really put his playmakers in positions with the screen game and the quick passing game to put the defensive um, backs and the outside linebackers in a lot of stressful positions. And they didn't always answer the bell for App State. That's why this team was able to move the ball down the field so efficiently. We saw this happen in the past 
with this defensive scheme for the App State fans who can remember when this team played Miami and Miami was suddenly running the ball up and down the field in 2016. It was because they were putting those players in high stress situations as far as having to tackle and rally to the ball. And this team just looked like a team that was coming into week one and didn't really have that first step and that explosiveness and that tackling ability that we've seen historically in the past. So I definitely think that's something to look out for heading into this matchup. They got out schemed a little bit. And I think that outside linebacker position specifically had a lot of different rotation and guys. And we saw up front though, the inside linebackers, the defensive line, they weren't getting that much pressure in the beginning, but we saw them in the second half kind of use some of their force, kind of use some of their strength and kind of wear on this defense, this offensive line that was a little bit smaller. And that's when you saw the turnovers. All the interceptions were a result of pressures from those guys. So I think that's going to be something that can translate and they can lean into heading forward. But I think as far as those outside linebackers, some of those defensive backs, they just got to get some more eye discipline, work on their tackling and do better in space. And those defensive guys, especially heading into this next game where defense is going to be a high priority, are going to have to keep that going and create some havoc. Hey, certainly a lot of things to improve on. That's why you play an FCS team in week one. I think App State learned a lot about their football team. As you mentioned, they will face current number 21, North Carolina. They're going to move up in the AP poll this week after beating South Carolina 31-17. to That game's going to take place in Chapel Hill. You might remember last year, those two teams combining for 124 points in that game. Well, Caden, number four on this list, James Madison versus Bucknell, the Dukes winning this game 38-3. to They run for 261 yards on the ground. Kalon Black has his third career 100-plus yard rushing game. He ran for 125 yards. Kane, this was interesting. Four of the five Dukes touchdowns took less than two minutes. The other one took just over three minutes. They held Bucknell to just three of 15 on third down in this game, so that defense certainly played well. But, Caden, when it comes to this matchup, we've got to start with the quarterback position. There was a lot of intrigue all offseason, and now we've got even more. Alonzo Barnett does indeed get the start for this Duke side, but he goes just 3 of 11 for 15 yards and an INT. His coach said of him afterwards that he kind of looked gun-shy at times in this contest. He did some nice things with his legs, though, runs for 29 yards and a touchdown. But, Caden, Jordan McLeod comes in at halftime, and, and we certainly heard some things about McLeod, and He came in, played pretty well in this game, 7 of 11, 144 yards, two touchdowns in the second half. Caden, we followed this quarterback battle all offseason, and suddenly things have just gotten a ton more interesting in Harrisonburg. They definitely have. I think when we saw Alonzo get the start, everyone was happy for him. He's a younger guy who beat some guys that were more veteran than him in this competition, but I think gunshot is the right word for it. Kurt was very honest in his postgame press conference and said he was surprised at what he saw just based on what he's seen from camp from this quarterback. He was surprised at what he saw in the game and he put their offense in a position where he looked afraid to throw the ball and James Madison was afraid to throw the ball so they had to lean into their run game and I think the experience just took over. There's I I talked about in the pre-show being the quarterback at JMU and winning that battle holds weight and it means something and it comes with a lot of pressure and I think we just saw the experience of Jordan McLeod and the comfort of him in the offense kind of just pay off for this team. He had a big game with those two touchdown passes, had a nice deep ball touchdown in this game. But I think moving forward, you just have to continue to go with this hot hand and you kind of have to go with the experience just given the rest of this roster. We'll talk about the rest of this team and what they did in this game. Played amazing on both sides of the ball outside of the quarterback position. And I feel like almost as a head coach, Kurt Sinetti, you owe it to the rest of this talented team who has championship aspirations, being one of the best teams in the conference at least you have to put the best quarterback in that puts you in the best position. So I don't know if we're going to see Barnett get another chance against a Virginia team that I think this team can beat. But just after seeing what we saw from McLeod, I have to imagine they go with him and keep the hand hot. And If he plays the way he did in the second half of this game and the next game, I think they're going to have a big shot to win that game. So definitely some controversy there, but I think experience showed in week one, and I think you have to kind of keep going with that experience moving forward if you're a JMU fan. Yeah, and if you think back to that interview we had with Kurt Signetti, Caden, you and I both came out of that thinking that he would emphasize experience. And then Alonzo Barnett came and kind of just took the job. Now does he choose to lean into that experience during the midst of this difficult stretch? I'm going to get your answer at the end of this. I'm going to put you on the spot. But Caden, uh, this defense once again looked dominant. They give up 208 yards in this game, 62 rushing, 146 passing. They created a ton of havoc like we expected. Three sacks, nine TFLs. Caden, in the second half, this defense was filthy. They give up just four yards total in the second half, including negative six yards on just eight offensive plays in that fourth quarter. Caden, we've got to mention it. This is clearly an inferior opponent, but uh, this Duke's defense looked as good as advertised. 
Yeah, I meant to preface this whole conversation with saying that Bucknell is not a very good football team, so everything we're talking about should be taken with a grain of salt. But this defense almost had the shutout I was looking for, but three points is close enough. They didn't touch the paint, which is great. If you're can, if you a defense and you get in your locker room after the game, there's just a different life you have when a team doesn't get in the end zone against you. And this team only crossed the 50-yard line twice when you talk about Bucknell's offense. So they did a great job in James Madison. This is the same old group. You mentioned their dominance in the ground game, but 150 keeping a team under 100, 150 yards in the air is impressive no matter who you're playing. I don't care how good or bad your opponent is in today's game of football. They absolutely lived in the backfield and at the line of scrimmage. They had nine TFLs and three sacks in this one. Taurus Jones was everywhere. I think if he can translate this play into play in conference play, we can see him sneaky, be a defensive player of the year candidate. Jalen Walker, per usual, did the same thing. Look what I saw out of Mikel Kamara as well, having a great day on the defensive line along with James Carpenter. This unit's going to keep doing them. I'm really excited to see if they can get even better than they were last year. And it's looking like given some of the quarterback controversy they have right now, they might have to be better than they were last year. I think between them and the run game, that's the parts of this team you can rely on. You talked about the impressive performance we saw from Kalen Black and just all of the variety of rushers this team had. Question is going to be that quarterback position. This defense looks just as solid as they did before. The run game looks solid. The question is going to be maybe does this JMU team have to win a little bit different than they did last year? Certainly will be interesting to keep an eye on this James Madison team. They are going to face Virginia next week, who's coming off a 49-13 defeat uh, to Tennessee. That game will be in Charlottesville. Caden, I promise I'm putting you on the spot. Kurt Signetti, who you going with as your starting quarterback in week two versus Virginia? One word answer. Alonzo Barnett, team too good. Bucknell, not very good. Not very good performance from quarterback. Go with hot hand. Sorry, that was more than one word. So Jordan McLeod, it is. Uh, this fifth matchup we're going to look at, Caden, Southern Miss versus Alcorn State. Uh, the announced attendance in this game, Caden, was 30,000 plus. Uh, the rock down in Mississippi was rocking. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. This was the most attended game since the 2019 opener, also against Alcorn State. So whenever Alcorn comes to town, Southern Miss draws extremely well in openers. They led big at the half and then would go on to win this game 40-14. Uh, to 14. Caden, again, we spent the offseason, much like with James Madison, talking about the quarterback position, but maybe even more important for Southern Miss, we said that they were a quarterback away. Billy Wiles comes in, makes his debut. Uh, This team, their struggles at the quarterback position have been well documented, but this week, that was not the story. Billy Wiles throws for 267 yards and three touchdowns. He completes 21 of 28 passes on the evening. Caden, you could argue that this was amongst the best quarterback, uh, you know, games that we have seen during Will Hall's era. Are you buying stock in Billy Wiles after week one? I'm buying it, but I'm not buying a ton of it. Just given the opponent will preface this one by saying Alcorn State is not a very good football team. But I think Southern Miss has a guy. I'm not going to say they have the guy, but they have a guy. And we saw some things that we haven't seen at the quarterback position, especially last season. I know this team they faced wasn't very good, but fundamentally what you saw from Billy Wiles, I think he passed the eye test for me. He looked very comfortable in this system. It's how you want your quarterbacks to look in games like this, kind of on the flip side, talking about what we saw from James Madison, you did not see what you wanted to out of your young starting quarterback. You saw what you wanted to see in Southern Miss, and you can't say that for all the quarterbacks in the conference this year. So you have to give Billy his flowers for doing his thing. He had one bad interception this game, looked like a miscommunication. But other than that, he was very efficient. He was fearless. He used his legs to scramble a little bit, which I like. And he seems to be on the same page with his wideouts, which I think is a huge key. And I think things are looking more promising at that position than they've ever looked in Hattiesburg. The run game was good, which is going to be a big help to him. They almost got to rest Frank Gore in this game, which is going to be good. The big thing, I think, moving forward, looking at the opponent they have. I love how they use Ty Mims in the run game as well. I think the optimism and the stock for this, I don't know if I'm buying a ton of it, but it's definitely trending in the right, right direction when you look at the quarterback position and the offense they have going on right now in Southern Miss. Hey, a game without a Frank Gore passing attempt is uh, a welcome sign uh, for this uh, Southern Miss side. Maybe the super back uh, position is no more. Caden, this run defense was a little questionable for me in this game. This is an Alcorn team that does emphasize the run, but this defense gives up 142 yards per game last year. They give up 182 on the ground in this game. Overall, though, though, this nasty bunch had had a very good day defensively. They held Alcorn to 226 yards, 44 through the air. Jay Stanley comes up, uh, really picks up right where he left off, two interceptions in this game. It was the first multi-INT game since 2018 for a Southern Miss Golden Eagle. Caden, overall thoughts on this uh, nasty bunch defense? 
Yeah, this is where I'll really emphasize that Alcorn State is a great team. They had 14 pass attempts, completed five of them, and two of two of those incompletions were interceptions to Jay Stanley. So shout out to him for having a great start to the season. One of my favorite players in the conference. He's now tied with another DB. Or there's a lot of DBs in the country that have two interceptions, a handful of them. He's one of them, and then the top dog is also in this conference. So just a great start to the season for Sunbelt secondaries. But this nasty bunch did nasty bunch things. Holding a team to 44 receiving yards despite their limitations at the quarterback position is still impressive. I think their team was centered around the run game, and they did a good job of not letting a team get in the end zone given that run game. So you just have to give your hats off to them. We all like what we saw on all levels of their defense. But you'd like to hope just (laughs) – you hope you like to see – you'd hope you like what you see against the Alcorn State offense when you are this defense. I think they have high expectations for this season. And I think they just lived up to them against an opponent. There's not too much to talk about here, but I do think them doing what they're supposed to do kind of both on defense and at the quarterback position is something you have to be promised for. I just think Florida State is going to be the complete opposite team of Alcorn State. So very excited to see this team. We might have seen the best we'll see of this team. We might see the worst of them next week. So I'm kind of looking forward to see us meet them in the middle a little bit as the season goes on. We see some competition that's closer to their level and closer to their talent and closer to their roster. Hey, who knows, Kane? Maybe we'll see another Power 5 upset next week. Uh, week two was certainly a good year last year. Maybe Southern Miss uh, can take down Florida State in Tallahassee. Uh, that's who they will play next weekend. Tallah- uh, they're going to play Florida State, who will be a top 10 team regardless of um, you know their game against Georgia that as of the time that we're recording this episode has not taken place. That takes uh, place later on this evening. Um up next, Caden, matchup number six. This was Georgia Southern versus the Citadel. Georgia Southern uh, pitches a shutout in this game, 34-0 over a Citadel team that their head coach admitted during the week before. I don't know if you've seen that press conference, but he basically said, we're a bad football team. I've never heard a coach say that. Georgia Southern had a multi-dimensional offensive attack. They put up nearly 500 yards of total offense. They looked explosive. They had 14 plays of 10 or more yards, nine in the run game alone. Caden Davis-Brid kind of looked like a Kyle Van Trees clone to me, maybe even a little bit better, dare I say. 27 of 36 for 244 yards and two touchdowns. He does throw an interception. He finished with five throws of 15 or more yards. We heard all offseason we would not see much of a drop-off coming from Van Trees to Brin, and it looks like all the hype was right. Yeah, quarterback plug and play was the big message this offseason for the offense, and that definitely shakes out. Like Davis Brennan absolutely dished in this game. He even threw an interception like Kyle Van Trees does from time to time. So that's probably why he looked a little bit like a clone. Those are all jokes, but I think it's very clear this offensive system with Clay Helton and Brian Ellis is one where quarterbacks love it. They can come in, they can easily digest it, they can learn it, and they can run it very efficiently in just one offseason. It looked like Brennan and Burgess have been a duo that's been in college football for years. They looked fantastic. He had great chemistry with all the wideouts. I know the Citadel team is not great, but you just love to see the rhythm and the timing of this offense not skip a beat from last season. And I think my biggest surprise, I think, is did Noah, did Jalen White look even better than he looked last season, potentially? I mean, he looked fantastic in this game. OJ Arnold did as well. I don't think it's crazy to say that maybe this team can even run the ball better this year. So I think that's a definitely scary for some about defenses. They're going to get their way in the air. Everyone knows that. But if they can e- run the ball even better than they did last year, which is kind of a slept on part of their offense, plus Davis Brin potentially maybe even being better than Kyle Van Trees, a lot to be excited about in Statesboro at the offensive side of the ball. And it looks like it's going to be that way for quite a while now. Hey, we heard so much high praise during the offseason for Jalen White. Uh, Clay Helton was you know, stoked about him and what he could do this year. Is a, is a big year loading for Jalen White, certainly looking at a small sample size, uh, it might be. Caden, defensively, again, you play the Citadel here, but um, for a team that has struggled on defense last year, it had to feel good to pitch the 21st shutout in Paulson Stadium history. We spent the offseason talking about this defense. They brought in new coordinator Brandon Bailey. Uh, They were playing against a triple option team, so you give up 198 yards on the ground, just 14 through the air. I think there was only eight passing attempts in this game. They did get off the field on third down, Caden, and I think that's huge. They were 2 of 12 in that department. Uh, Again, not a great opponent, but in my opinion, great opening statement for Georgia Southern this year. Yeah, as far as defense goes, I guess you can say they look better. It's just so hard with this opponent, and it was so it's so hard with just given how bad this defense was last year. I think in their first game against Morgan State, they did allow a touchdown in that first game. So maybe this being their first shutout in a while, maybe you can say this defense is is looking better. But they did what they have to do against this team. It's it's just really hard given the the ways 
the talent and the competition and the way that the Citadel plays, not many teams in the nation are going to end the game with just eight pass attempts when being down by 24 points for the entire second half and more. But the Citadel is one of them. So we'll truly see next week against UAB. But you have to love what you saw out of the star players on this Georgia Southern team. They were able to show up some of their depth, I think, going up against a lesser opponent, which was great. I mean, a ton of players got in the stat line for tackles and got to show off their stuff. So I think it's good defensive momentum for this team. It's good for their confidence, pitching that shutout and handling business. But I think we'll get a true, more of a true sense of what this defense is next week against UAB. If they look like they did last year, I wouldn't be surprised. But if they looked improved, I also wouldn't be surprised given some of the depth and things they were able to show in this game on that side of the ball. Well, a lot of good things in Statesboro. As you mentioned, Caden, they will welcome UAB to town next weekend. UAB coming off of a 35-6 to win over North Carolina A&T. They'll be coming to Statesboro on a nine-day layoff, so certainly they will be prepared for the Eagles in that matchup. A big early season test for Clay Helton and this side. Caden, the seventh matchup that we're going to look at today, Marshall versus Albany. This game was also a bit of a disappointment. It's well documented. I like Marshall in that Sunbelt East. I picked Coastal Carolina to win the division, but Marshall was a close second. I know you've got Marshall winning the division. They did not look great in this game. Uh, They did, though, come away with a victory, and at this point of the season, that's what's important. It was their 600th victory in program history. They do it in front of 25,000 fans, and for me, the big storyline in this game was Rasheen Ali had a huge day, so let's talk about it. Ali finishes with 137 yards and two touchdowns. He has three runs of 25 yards or more. And Kane, if you're watching this game early on, his first touch of the game, he had a 60-plus yard touchdown run called back because of a holding. So he easily could have had two bucks and three touchdowns in this game. Uh, We all know about his 2021 season, but Kane, it looks like Rashina Lee is due for another huge year this year. Yeah, and I've prefaced some of these games by saying these teams aren't very good. Albany is not bad at all. They're a good team. They have a good stout defense. I would actually love to see them play Gardner-Webb. I think that'd be a great matchup just from the teams we watched this weekend. But Rasheen Ali's back to his old self. He's back in prime form. He's looking like he did last or two years ago. Sorry, when, when he wasn't injured, was a freshman bursting onto the scene. You mentioned that explosive play, and I think this Albany defense did a great job of limiting those explosive plays earlier on in the game. Their defense was particularly stout in the first half. They played mistake-free football. They ran to the ball very well, which was good, which you have to do against a good running back. He was making the first guy miss just about every time, but they were rallying to the football and limiting those explosive plays. But I think in that second half is where we truly saw the Rasheen Ali we're accustomed to seeing. You saw that offensive line start to wear on their defense, and you started to see those guys get a little bit tired of tackling Rasheen Ali, which I think is going to be a big theme this season. I think Cam Fancher looked more comfortable than he did last season. I don't think he looked leaps and bounds ahead, but you liked what you saw from him, I think a huge shout out to the offensive line for keeping him comfortable. Zero sacks last season. We know that was something they struggled with. And of course, they're going to pave the way in the run game. We saw some flashes from that receiving core, but it just wasn't an explosive group. And it's not going to be a huge part of that offense, I think, similar to what was last season. The longest reception was 27 yards to Cade Connolly. It kind of showed ability at times to have some explosive plays. They definitely looked better as a unit across the board, making some people miss and doing some things after the catch. But I would look at Chuck Montgomery, Demarcus Harris, those guys. Curious to see if their roles can increase. I think that was a big part of why this game stayed close is because their offense is methodical. They have to run the ball. They'll get the receivers involved occasionally, but they don't mind chewing clock off, not getting as many possessions because they know they're a tough team and a tough offense to go toe-to-toe with for four quarters. Yeah, they certainly wear on you, Caden. It's not the sexiest type of football, but it works. And I have the feeling Marshall's going to play a few close games this year, but they certainly proved that they can win those close games. You look at a team like Troy a season ago, uh, they proved that you can win close games and and go on to win the conference championship. So watch out for Marshall. Caden, last thing in this matchup, I did think the defense looked really good in this game. Owen Porter goes and has 12 tackles in this game, but it was the other defensive end, Sam Burton, who had a huge performance in this game, two and a half sacks. Uh, I do feel like there are a little bit more question marks at the linebacker position than we thought, but overall thoughts on this Marshall defense in week one, Caden? Yeah, you mentioned that defensive end performance in this game. I think that's going to be huge for them this season. I mean, Owen Porter was playing like a man on the mission. I think it's the most motivated I've ever seen him play. He was playing with his hair on fire, and I think as a result of that, you have to give him some attention. And when you don't give him some attention, that's when you see Sam Byrne able to get in the backfield as well. So I think that's going to be huge for this team this year. I think those big losses at linebacker, like you mentioned, though, Charlie Gray and Abraham Bowplan at the linebacking positions, those are two of their top three tacklers last season. And I think them not being there showed a little bit. This defense kind of got in the tack 
the same way that App State did in that quick passing game, making them tackle in space. And initially, especially in the first half, they kind of looked like they were just a step behind in that department from what we saw before. They got more settled in the second half. They started having a real solid solid showing. And at the end of the game, this Marshall team might bend, but they're not going to break. It's what they did last season very well. They kept teams out of the end zone. They'll let you drive down the field. They'll let you make a couple of plays here and there, but nothing super explosive. And you might move the chains, but getting into that end zone and getting to that paint against Marshall is always going to be hard. So definitely curious to see kind of similar to App State, some of those outside linebackers and linebackers can adjust heading into the next week and hopefully build on some of the stuff we saw in the second half versus some of the stuff we saw in the first half. But I think, like I mentioned before, it's a little bit stressful for me because I picked Marshall coming out of this side, but this team does not care if they're keeping games close or low scoring. They're willing to lean into their run game and lean into their great defense to make more plays and make you try to make plays against them They'll pound you for four quarters and they'll make you tap out. That's what happened in this game. It wasn't a beautiful win for them, but that's what they're going to do. And they're going to continue to do that. We talked to coach in the offseason about that kind of militaristic Alabama routine style. They have the routine. They know they're bread and butter. They're not going to step too far stylistically out of it. Curious to see maybe as they play some of these offenses we've talked about that are a little bit more explosive, if maybe that kind of comes into factor. But I think just seeing some of the air raid teams now come into the sun, but they like to throw the ball. Very curious how Marshall's style is going to match up with them moving forward. But I'm, I'm still riding with my pick. I still think they're going to be good this year. Well, they will have a decent test next weekend when they travel to Greenville, North Carolina to face ECU. They lost 30-3 to to number two Michigan. That is an ECU team without Holton Ehrlers, without Keaton Mitchell, trying to figure out where their offense is going to come from. So perhaps an opportunity for Marshall to get off to a good 2-0 start. Kane, last matchup, it was the one that kept you and I up late into the evening on the East Coast. I fell asleep about 2 a.m. after the conclusion of this game. I did check out about three minutes to go in this contest after it became evident that UCLA was going to win. Uh, Coastal Carolina loses 13-27 to in Pasadena. This was a really tight game, Caden. Coastal looked in control at times in the third quarter. They trailed 14-13 to with 10 minutes to go. Kane, let's talk about this Coastal Carolina offense because we spent the whole offseason. We talked to Tim Beck a couple of times. We were curious what it would look like. Grayson McCall, I think, answered that. He throws a career-high 42 pass attempts in this game. Did throw two interceptions for the first time in his career. He came in with eight previous INTs through his previous three seasons. At times, this offense looked like a dominant attack. Jared Brown, Sam Pinckney both looked like number one wide receivers. This offensive line, though, did struggle at times and may have even led to some of those interceptions by McCall. Caden, first look at this new offense. What did you like and where are some areas that they need to do some work heading into week two? I'll start off with what I didn't like, and it was definitely the offensive line play. I think this had so this game had a lot of similarities to the South Alabama game. I think when you look at the positions that Carter Bradley and Grayson McCall were in, and I think they just couldn't protect him. They only had 53 yards on the ground. They couldn't run the ball. They had 10 TFLs that they gave him this game. And their quarterback got sacked five times. So, I mean, this USL, UCLA defensive front, we talked about it being the strength of their defense, one of the most talented, biggest, fastest units in the in the entire country this year. And that kind of just showed in this game. And I think as a result, Coastal didn't win this game. I think that's a, a big reason why they didn't win this game. But outside of that, you have to love what you saw from their offense. Their offensive line did have some fight in them. It obviously wasn't enough. But I think you love what you saw from the wide receivers. This offense loves getting Jared Brown the ball in space and a lot of different opportunities, whether it's running the ball in the pass game. And they love getting Sam Pickney in one-on-one situations, and he's very good at winning those. They also got the tight ends involved a little bit more. So I think this unit could definitely be very dangerous. And the fact that they were even able to move the ball and put points on the board despite not being to run the ball, I think is huge. I think once they're able to run the ball, it'll really unlock this team. And if they can better protect Grayson as well with it, I think we're going to see one of the more high-powered offenses in the nation. But some of Grayson's McCall's interceptions definitely caught my eye. It's definitely very uncharacteristic to see. I think about that first one where he's reading one side of the field. This is a guy who normally can make four progressions in one play and put in the right spot. He was reading one side of the field threw right into the curl and threw an interception. So it's something we haven't seen before. It definitely felt bizarre. So I'm kind of keeping an eye on that, but I'm just keeping an eye on this offense in general because I think they are going to be able to run the ball better this year. This is going to be the best, probably biggest, fastest defensive line they play all year. So I expect them to get better in that department. But all the other departments of this team looked really good. And I'm very excited, especially to see them in conference play. Caden, much like Texas State defensively, this Coastal Carolina team, the one thing that we can say is we saw max effort from them all evening long. Clayton Isbell also has that huge performance, three interceptions, tying a program record. He leads the nation in that category. Um, They created a lot more pressure in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter of this game. 
Caden, overall impressions of Craig Niver's defense in this first contest? I think that looks solid. I think obviously that's not the results you want. And I think this game went how we thought it, but we thought this offensive line could have struggles and we thought this defense could have struggles. And that's kind of why we thought Coastal could stay in this game, but it was going to be hard for them to win. But I have to say, I, the defense didn't look great, but they did not look terrible. I would give them just a straight C. And I think that has a lot of potential to grow. I think this was a tall task facing this offensive scheme, given their personnel, but I feel like they held their own. There was never a moment of the game where they looked out of place or they didn't belong or they looked overmatched. Just schematically and given the personnel of Chip Kelly's offense, they're tough to stop and they put them in tough situations and they capitalize on it. But I do have to say, generating turnovers specifically in this secondary was great to see whether that was making plays or capitalize on quarterback errors. I think that can be huge for this team. You mentioned Clayton Isabel getting three interceptions. This team had nine interceptions last season. So I think the fact that they were able to give their offense the ball back, sometimes they had some red zone turnovers, which count as double for a defensive player to kind of turning their points into no points is huge. So I think this team didn't get bullied. They didn't have quite as many errors as we saw in the past. And I think their stock is slowly going to rise throughout the season. You love the effort that you saw from that linebacking core and just the ability to stand toe to toe with this team and look very fearless and not flinch. So I think I'm buying some of the stock as well. I want to see it against some lesser opponents because we might see better or we might see them play down to some competition. But overall, I did like what I saw from this defense, especially in the second half, being able to kind of kind of stir up some controversy in that quarterback room and apply some pressure to those guys. So very excited to see them moving forward for sure. Well, Kane, you certainly also had to be pleased to hear your takes about Michael Mason kind of validated in this game. He had a big performance. The broadcast team was talking about him. I know that's a guy that you had in our top 10 defensive linemen in the offseason. So certainly that prediction looking good. Coastal Carolina, they return to Conway to face new FBS member Jacksonville State next week. Jacksonville State coming in 2-0. They played UTEP in week zero, won that game. They beat ETSU 49-3 on Saturday. So could be a little bit of a test. We've seen Coastal Carolina have some trouble uh, with FCS teams at home. Well, that's going to do it for our week one recap on the Prairie and Smith podcast. The Sunbelt football train is rolling down the tracks and showing no signs of slowing down anytime soon. Before you go, here's a quick reminder that we're going to be back on Wednesday. We'll be releasing our first student-athlete interview of the 2023 season. We'll announce that uh, at a later date, but working on a great guest there for Wednesday. One final thing, if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you do one thing. Share this podcast with at least one of your friends. Help us help you by continuing to grow the show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>